Would you join me in the scripture in Romans chapter 15? Taking our Bibles to Romans chapter 15, we will see again this description of Christian ministry as it is a fruit of the mercy of God toward us where we are presenting our bodies, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is a description of that. Romans chapter 15 Let's start in verse 15. Romans 15, 15, the word of the Lord says, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable Sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So then, from Jerusalem and all the way to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I should build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, this being in Isaiah, those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason that I have so often been hindered from coming to you. You can be seated. And children, you can be dismissed to Children's Church. Children's Church, uh, if if you're unaware, Children's Church meets uh, down this hallway, the hallway to my right. And uh, they'll be hearing a children's lesson this morning. And then uh, joining back with us at the end. It is, it is said of Charles Spurgeon that there were 13 steps that led up to where his pulpit stood in his church. And it has been said that it was his habit of saying as he rose each step, I believe in the Spirit, 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 I believe in the Spirit. I was reminded of that with both this text, a Spirit-dependent ministry, and then climbing our steps to where this pulpit sits. We don't have 13. I guess I could go up and down, up and down, up and down. But I do believe in the Spirit and the particular ministry that happens by the Spirit of God. Uh, This whole text of Romans 14 and 15 is just really, I think, intensely practical. Really intensely practical. We've spent years walking through the particular doctrine of the gospel. 
And then you get to chapter 12, verse 1, and, and all of that doctrine points to Christianity. What then is Christian living? Christian living is worship. So presenting our bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That's our priestly worship. And in chapters 14 and 15, we're being instructed on how we worship as ministers of the gospel of Christ. How we worship as a church family. Our king, Jesus, has ransomed people for his name. Those people are ordained by God to be to the praise of his glory. And as it is Christ himself who began a work of salvation in us, it is Christ who works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. He's placed us in a community of gospel transformations. We call it the church. In that community, God continues to cultivate ongoing sanctification. Sanctification, to be set apart. It is a beautiful already but not yet. Book of Ephesians tells us that our life is hidden in Christ and we are already seated at the right hand of God the Father. Does, does your heart confess that truth right now as we sit here in this place? We are already seated at the right hand of God the Father because we're sanctified. We're set apart. We're holy. But we're not yet. <laughs> and so there's ministry that's still happening. Sanctification isn't already, but it is also a process. And so here we are, being set apart, dying in flesh, living in Christ. I know there's a lot that can be said about growing church. I don't know how many books have been written in the last 20 years about how to grow big churches. And I think there's a lot we could say about that whole philosophy the seeker-sensitive agenda. But my hope is not to discuss that. But rather, what does the Bible teach us about growing church? I've already read once today from Ephesians. Let me read from chapter 4. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped, when every part is working properly, it makes the body grow up so that it builds itself up in love. There is so much information available to us about growing church. But then there is this biblical instruction and description about growing church. And that is only by the Spirit of God. I can say the passion of all of our elders. To be a body of brothers and sisters growing up. Now whether God chooses to grow out too is, it's okay with us. We're not opposed to it. But it is not the burden of our heart. 
The Lord is building his church and sanctifying her in Christ communities. So the church able to minister to one another. This text about abiding together as a Christian church doesn't have a long list of things we do and don't do. We'll abide together in Christian love because we'll all watch the same movies and because we'll all choose the same social activities. Right? We have, we have thoroughly been down that road. We do not abide together because we follow the same protocols of good Christian conduct. Chapter 14 and 15, don't give a list of do's and don'ts that keep us friendly. Instead, it says, I don't know that you should focus on those do's and don'ts, but focus on Christ, the tie that binds us together in love. So we see not a list, but we see Christ, a servant leader. Christ, a servant leader. So, in the issue that continues to require our discernment, which, by the way, let me go back. Let me go back. Chapter 12. Look, look with me at verse 1, 2, and uh, 3. I know, just 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, Romans 12, 1, by the mercies of God, present your bodies living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is spiritual worship. So, if that's what we are, as priests before God, worshiping with our life, then don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by a renewing of your mind. So having your mind saturated, fixed, programmed by the gospel itself, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. What is good? What is acceptable? What is perfect? So we've started this section in this particular paragraph and there's going to be three points eventually. Last week there was a point, well about three quarters of a point. Today there's going to be another about seven eighths of a point, okay? And when it's all said and done, maybe it'll make a sermon. But last week we talked about ministry commendation. There are some things that we as ministers to each other value. Some things matter to us. We talked about ministry commendation. And we talked about these three. Look with me at chapter 15 of Romans, verse 14. Paul says, you yourself are full of goodness. A minister commends their disciples' goodness. The next thing we saw commended is that they're able to instruct one another. They had it. That's not correct. I did that last week too. No, that's a problem. Look at verse four, Look at verse 14. Hmm, chapter 15. There it is. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness. That's the first one. Filled with all knowledge is the second one. Able to instruct is the third one. I had that mistake in last week's outline, and I didn't fix it. Filled with all knowledge, the grasp of knowledge they had in verse 14, and then that they had that knowledge and they were able to instruct each other. 
these things are commendable. And we saw that last week. This week, let's move into the next one. There are certain ministry convictions. Here's my point for us this morning. In the next 30 or so minutes that we spend together, my point is that there are some things we should care deeply about as we are in life of gospel community as a church. There are some things we should care deeply about. And there are, there, there's a lot of pretext we could talk about. I'll address one of them quickly. If, if you came into church with the exclusive perspective, I'm here to have someone serve me. I'm here to have the, the worship leaders serve me. I'm here to have the ushers serve me. I'm here to have the children's directors serve me. I'm here to have the preaching serve me. Then already, a lot of what I say in this sermon is going to seem weird. Because I'm not teaching you how to consume from church, but how to be church. So like Hebrews chapter 10, when we don't forsake getting together, but when we come together, let's think like this. How will I provoke my fellow Christ followers to love and good works? Hebrews 10, I think it's verse 25. How will I provoke my brother or sister Christ follower to affection and function? Okay, so that pretext. We we didn't come in here to soak up church. We came in here to be church. We live together, not just on this day, to be church. All right. There's some ministry commendations, but we're talking right now about ministry convictions. Here are things you need to care about as a Christian minister in life with other Christians. First, there is a purpose to your ministry. It's not, it's not aimless, pointless, can't be defined. There's a purpose. Let's look at some of the symptoms of what that purpose would be in verse 15 and 16. Romans 15, 15, he says, On some point I have written to you very boldly, by way of reminder, because of grace given to me. Paul is a minister who is acting intentionally, saying some things that weren't easy to say and weren't easy to hear, but because of the grace given to him, he ministered. In other words, he didn't ignore the truth for love, and he didn't love at the expense of truth. But, keep reading in the text, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Paul viewed himself with a job. He, he, he had a job. You all have jobs. Well, I guess, I don't know, there's help wanted signs everywhere, but I guess you have jobs. I don't know, do people still work? I'm not sure what's happening. Um, it's weird. You have a vocation. Paul sometimes had a vocation. He made tents. But that was not how Paul saw himself. You have a vocation, but your vocation is not your mission. Your vocation is not your ministry. Paul's vocation was not also his ministry. Sometimes, sometimes he labored in the gospel, but sometimes he labored and had his mission. Paul saw himself as an under-minister of his high priest. 
Paul literally, like if, if Paul was printing business cards, it would say, Paul, an under minister of my high priest slash tent maker. Paul had purpose in what he was doing. And then there is this passion of purpose, this sincerity of purpose. Look, look at verse 16, the second half of the verse. So Paul says, listen, this is how I see myself so that, verse 16, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Man. He knew what the goal was. He knew that like as we come in and sit down in church and as we fellowship on the way out and as we serve each other throughout the week, Paul knew that the reason we do that is so that we might offer each other up acceptable as worship that is sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm an under minister of the high priest, Jesus, to offer up Gentile converts. Paul was not a humanitarian philanthropist. He was a gospel under minister of the high priest. So I'm, I'm wanting to instruct you as ministers of the gospel. And I'd start here by talking about a purpose that has passion. Do you see yourself as an under minister of Jesus who is doing labor to present your brothers and sisters to Jesus and say, I served, I ministered, I labored in the word with them. I I was stewarding my life in this community of Christians to the praise of your glory. And the spirit is Paul's dependence. Paul doesn't take credit. I love that. You go into a restaurant and you want to have a meal. You look over the menu. Do you, do you all order the pictures? I order the pictures all the time. That's, that's a problem. I order the pictures. Like it, it can be a great description. I'm like, no, this looks delicious. I'll order this. You go in and you order whatever the picture is. And then a waiter or waitress brings it to you, refills your drink, asks if you need anything else. And you look at that waiter or waitress and you think, thank you for making this meal enjoyable. But where did the plate of food come from? The chef in the back, right? Like what, what if the waiter just comes to your table and says, uh, do you need anything? Yeah, we would like to order. No, no, we're not that kind of restaurant. We don't have a chef here. Oh, well... I guess just drinks then. Uh, no, nope, still not that kind of restaurant. We don't do that here. I mean, you'd be terribly disappointed in the waiter, right? Paul says, I'm a waiter, but I don't have anything to give you if the chef has not already prepared it in the back. And so you don't see the chef every time you go to the restaurant. And Paul says, you might not be seeing the work of the Spirit, but Paul says, I'm telling you, I'm just delivering the Spirit's work to your table. So he says, They will be acceptable worship to God only because the Spirit of God has done something. I want to show you right now. These are things I hope would mark you already or you would prayerfully commit to these things marking you as a spiritual minister. 
Paul is a spirit-dependent minister, and we see four things about him. First, look at verse 17, we see humility. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. I would not even venture to speak anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. <laughs> you, you might have noticed when Josh Satry said that in his testimony. Well, it's, you know, it's not anything I have to be proud of. I didn't, I didn't really do anything. Someone told me about Christ. The Spirit of God worked. And I believed. There was a gospel minister there, a youth pastor, and I went to him and said, I, I'm not saved. I need Christ. And so, like this, I'm humble. I know that this wasn't by me that this ministry has been done, but it's spirit dependent. And that was the way Paul was. We could look at a dozen texts where Paul says, wow, I can't do anything but the Spirit of God through me is doing all kinds of stuff. The second thing that marks a Spirit-dependent ministry is a ministry for transformation. He says this next in verse uh, uh, 18, 19. To bring the Gentiles to obedience. A Spirit-dependent ministry is a ministry that sets the bar higher than a conformity ministry, okay? So, in other words, take, take, for example, your home. Take your parenting. You're parenting young children. And if your goal is to get them to conform to the rules, uh, Jay and I had coffee this week. It was this time, or I think it was this past Thursday we had coffee, and we were talking about this. And I said, you know, I said, I, I think that we have parented in a certain way that has laid a foundation that says to the kids, you have to do what we say. Now, that's not the end of the, that's not the, end of the work, right? You have to do what we say. But there's a, a heart change that has to happen that I can't reach. And so I minister to my kids dependent on the Holy Spirit because my goal is not outward conformity, but spirit transformation. And so all of us in ministry, we're ministering with the goal of transformation, not conformity. I think there's a lot of quote-unquote Christian ministry that might not see itself dependent on the Holy Spirit because all it's trying to do is get people to follow rules. The third thing about spirit-dependent ministers is that they exhibit integrity. He says, I'm working to bring Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. In other words, he's preaching and he's showing spirit-dependent living. Saying that something is true is a lot different than living as though it's true. Again, to go back to your home, isn't that hardest at home? Ministering to each other in church in both what we say to each other and how we live in front of each other is a lot easier because you get downtime. You get downtime. When, when you're discipling your kids, there's no downtime. There's no downtime. And just when you think there is downtime, and you're laying in bed, all of a sudden you hear one of them breathing right next to your face. <laughs> I thought we had downtime. There's never downtime. 
And it's hard to minister to your kids in word and deed because it's all the time. Spirit-dependent ministry. The fourth thing is that it is a ministry that has affirmations of the Spirit. Look at verse 19. So he's ministering in word and deed by power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. God had blessed Spirit-dependent ministry with Spirit signs and gifts. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. God bore witness in us by signs and wonders and various miracles, by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to the will of God. Ministry that says, I can't do anything that's going to matter if the Spirit doesn't do it. These are indications of genuine ministry. And I hope, I hope that right now, I hope that we're sitting under the preaching of God's word and we're humbling ourselves, even prayerfully right now, as we talk about those four marks that Paul describes, that we're just praying, Lord, are those, do those mark the way that I am living in church with other Christians? When I look at my life and see humility in ministry, a goal of transformation, integrity in my work and deed, and seeing that the Spirit of God is blessing and is working, and I witness affirmations of the Spirit. He says, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. His ministry was a ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he he says... I had purpose. I had ministry convictions. Let's, let's keep reading. Let's, let's go into verse 20 and see passion. Passion. Paul had things, because he was a gospel minister, there were some things he cared a lot about. Look at verse 20. I mean, this one you read and you're like, duh. He says, I want to be with the people I am ministering to. Look at verse 22. He says, oh, I want to minister. Sometimes I've been hindered from coming to you. We have this commission from Jesus to make disciples. And, and when we read this and say, well, Paul wanted to be with the people he was commissioned to disciple. <laughs> you say, wow, Rob, that is... Really profound. Thanks for sharing that. But truthfully, how often is it true? We're called to make disciples. Okay, fine. As long as it doesn't interrupt the game. Or my extra heavy work schedule. Or my enjoyment for Sunday morning leisure. Paul was a minister of the gospel and he said, I've been hindered from being with you, but wow, do I want to be with you? Look who he says he wants to be with. He wants to be with the saints. First, by the way, he says he's been hindered. That's a passive verb in the imperfect tense. It means Paul hadn't done something and it hindered him from being there. There was something that was being done. And I'm going to show you in a minute what that was. I've been hindered from being there. Being where? First, 
with the saints who were not yet. Look at verse 20. He says, my ambition, oh, I have this, I have this real interest to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Paul says, I want to be with the saints who are not saints yet. Paul's ambition had always been to preach the gospel in places Christ was not known. He quotes from Isaiah 52. Look at verse 21. As it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul goes back and quotes Isaiah to remind us that the work of the Messiah was a work that was going to sprinkle the nations. That's, that's I think for me it's effective word picture. Paul goes back to Isaiah to remind himself that the work of the Messiah was going to sprinkle the nations. Listen to what he says. Uh, if you have a handout, it's copied in your handout. If not, just listen. Isaiah 52, 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. That's the title of this paragraph is pierced for our transgression, referring to Christ. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of children of mankind. He was pierced for our transgressions. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told, they shall see and that which they have not heard, they understand. The Apostle Paul says, I'm a minister, an under-minister of Jesus. And because I am, I have a passion to be with saints who aren't yet. Paul wanted to preach the gospel where people didn't know about Jesus. I want to to take a minute here and talk about four more things that mark gospel ministers, in particular, ministers who minister to the lost, okay? So I want to talk about four things that mark the gospel minister who's dependent on the Spirit, but he is going somewhere where people haven't heard, okay? Here's what it is. Why would a person leave being ministered to to go minister to people who have never heard about Jesus. Why would someone do that? And I want to talk about four reasons why. And, and pray that as I say those four, people in the room will say, yes, I should do that. So God, as we talk through your word, Raise up Paul-like ministers to preach Christ where he's not been preached. This gospel minister had confidence that salvation was going to happen by the arm of the Lord. Salvation is going to happen by the arm of the Lord. If, 
if you picture yourself going to nations and people groups who have never heard of Christ and think, they're never going to believe me. You'll probably be unlikely to go. But if you go with the doctrinal confession of Scripture, where Isaiah says the work of Jesus Christ the Messiah is going to sprinkle all the nations, there will be sprinkled among every nation Christ followers. But there aren't yet. There aren't yet. Almost half of the people groups on the planet are unreached. Isaiah, the word of God promises that the work of Christ will be sprinkled among all the nations. But it's not done yet. It's still going to happen. Listen, Paul is ministering from town to town. He's in Macedonia and he says this. The Lord says to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Don't be silent. I'm with you. No one's going to attack or harm you. I have many people in this city. What? And he stayed there a year and a half teaching the word of God. God says to Paul, don't leave. There are a lot of people here who are going to be saved. The spirit-dependent gospel ambassador going to other people is dependent on the promise of God being fulfilled. Second, the spirit-dependent gospel minister is an ambassador. 2 Corinthians 5.20 We are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us and we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So an ambassador, an under-minister of Jesus Christ, the person who goes where Jesus has not been taught, goes because they know they're an under-minister of Jesus Christ. Third, There is a kingdom culmination. Uh, maybe, maybe you're younger. Hannah, it's good to see you and your friends. Tim, it's good to see you again. Will I see you next weekend? Good. Three in a row. It's good to see you. And Hannah, you have your friends here. And maybe, maybe some of you are younger and you're looking forward to what you haven't experienced yet. And you're thinking, there will probably be something out there satisfying. And then some of you here are not younger. That's the nicest way I can say that. <laughs> and you say, I think I've experienced most of what the world has to offer. And I found a lot of it to be unsatisfying. And so the Spirit of God has been growing in you to say, I've learned that the only place I'm going to be satisfied in is the everlasting kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so you're there right now. You're saying, oh, to be absent from this body and to be with the Lord would be better 
Yes, to live is Christ. Oh, to die is gain. And you're saying, I want the kingdom of Christ to make all these terrible kingdoms a footstool. Soon. If that's your heart, go preach Jesus where he's not been preached. Because, take your Bibles back to Romans 11. Paul's going all over the place. Greece. He wants to preach in these urban centers. Corinth, Macedonia, Galatia. Listen, listen to what he said in Romans 11. I mean, why does Paul want to go Tell people who have never heard about Jesus. Romans 11, verse 25, please. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in that way, all, verse 26, all Israel will be saved Verse 28, so as it regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as it regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. There will be this culmination, this completion of all Israel being saved when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And half the planet doesn't know who Jesus is. I think as powerful as anything I can say to you to help us adopt Paul's mission vision is the work of the Messiah is going to be sprinkled among every nation. And when the fullness of every nation comes in, then the end. The kingdom of Christ with men. That meant, because that mattered to Paul, that matters to ministers, that meant number four, Paul's mission work had, I'm going to use two big words. You should know them. I'm going to take a minute to explain them. Paul's mission work had a doxological missiology. Okay? I didn't know. Spell check didn't know what they were either, so it's okay. (laughs) A doxological missiology. Now, both those words matter a lot to me, so let's just learn them instead of try to avoid them so, you know, people don't feel frustrated. Doxological. Doxology. You know the song doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise some all creatures here below. That's doxology. To have a doxological means the things that I do, I do because God be praised. 
Okay, so that's doxological. Praise God. Doxological. Paul's mission, missiology, that's his philosophy of mission. That's why he did mission. That's how he did mission. It's his missiology. It's missions philosophy. He had a to God be the glory mission philosophy. Doxological missiology. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1. Even as God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us to be adopted to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, that we might be to the praise of his glorious grace with which he blesses us in his beloved son. So, This gospel minister, depending on the spirit, wanted to go preach Christ where people didn't know Christ because he was confident God was saving people there. Because he understood the instruction, he was an ambassador of God, pleading with people to be reconciled to him. Paul longed for the kingdom of Christ And understood the fullness of the Gentiles was going to come in first. And in the end of it, Paul wanted God to be praised in places where people didn't praise God. He says this in verse 22. This is the reason why I've been hindered from coming to you. I want to go to Rome. I want to spend time with you on my way to Spain. I want you to encourage me because I'm headed to Spain. But I can't go there yet because there are people here who still haven't heard. When they do, I'm going to stop by at your place on my way to go tell people who haven't heard yet. Because as we found, number one, a minister wants to be with the saints who aren't yet. In verse 22 through 24, a gospel minister wants to be with the saints who are already. I have longed for many years, he says in verse 23, to come to you. So let me finish by saying, our king has placed us in communities of gospel transformation. What should be typical among us who are following Christ thinking of others more highly than ourselves, what should be typical among us is that we should commend. We should commend each other and say, you're filled with the goodness of Christ. You've grown in knowledge so that you can minister to other people too. That's a good thing, by the way, because if there's four of us ministering to hundreds of us, we get really excited when another one is full of knowledge and able to instruct other people. It's like, another team member. That's good. We should commend that. But then we should also have some things we care a lot about. Truth spoken in love. Worship offerings of the people we minister to. They are not an end to themselves. The worship of God is the end. And these people we serve and minister to are a means to that end. It's dependent on the Spirit of God. There is a radical transformation that takes place 
and gospel ministry, and it depends on the Spirit of God. Therefore, it's humble. Its goal is real transformation, integrity, and the affirmations of the Spirit himself. Would we be this? Confident ambassadors longing for the kingdom of Jesus Christ because we adore God. Confident ambassadors longing for the kingdom of Jesus Christ because we adore God. Let me pray for us. Lord, Father, your word is it's so relevant to us right now. On this Sunday afternoon in November, we need this. Our life is stewardship. And the requirement is faithfulness. The work of ministry can't happen by the might of our hands or the sharpness of our intellect. We depend on your spirit to do work. As we have been born of the spirit, sealed with the spirit of promise, we're being taught by the spirit and independence and the Holy Spirit make us to minister with faithfulness, of confidence. Oh, we want to see the kingdom of Christ. The work of the Messiah is still being sprinkled among nations. Because we're ministers, we want to minister to places that don't know Jesus. And as we'll see as we continue through your word, we also want to minister right here. Be praised with the way that we steward this church as under ministers of Jesus Christ. I pray that your word would bear much fruit and that we would have a a constant developing perception of ourselves as ministers in church. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.